So my baby was crying all night last night. It was one of those. So we'll see how we're doing. You know, in fact, I, I know this is not, in fact, a camp, and it's not, I'm not a camp counselor, but we need more energy in this room. So if everybody could turn to the person on their left and say good morning. And now, and, and now we're going to do the right. So now you're prepared. So it could be much more exciting. So one, two, three, go. Good morning. And now, because the, the left was so lame, why don't we do the left again? One, two, three, go. Good morning. Good morning. And now, because some people are sitting lonely, let's do the person behind you. One, two, three, go. Good morning. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about Proverbs today. We've been studying through Proverbs. I have been on a bunch of diets. You may not know it to look at me, but... I have been on many, many, many diets in my life. Actually, some of them have been quite effective. I used to be quite a bit heavier than I am now. But the thing that I've noticed about diets is most of them work okay, attack one part of what it is that make you overweight, but oftentimes they're not multifaceted. They don't actually attack all the factors that go into why you're overweight, or at least why I'm overweight. This is my experience. So for example, I remember there was a very trendy Christian diet when I was a teenager, and it was really the first time I thought about losing weight because I was like a fat little ball of child. And then I was like, I should, I should lose some weight. And at the time, there was this very popular book. Every kind of housewife had this book. It was one of those books, you know. And the point of the book was you don't lose weight through counting calories. You, you lose weight through spiritual means. So, so you realize you shouldn't gratify the flesh, and every time you're, you want to eat more than, than you should eat, you, you pray and you ask Jesus, all this kind of thing, right? Everybody understands what that would, what that would kind of be. And it was actually, uh, the book, I don't know about the book, I mean, it really kind of made God into your, your weight loss guru, but it worked. It was helpful. I lost a lot of weight, actually, just praying and thinking spiritually about, ah, well, maybe I don't need another cheeseburger because my satisfaction is in Christ, actually, that sort of thing. But the thing about that diet was you still could eat candy and cheeseburgers. Like You didn't have to do anything besides eat exactly what you wanted to all the time. And then if you were tempted to eat a little bit more of exactly what you wanted to, you would, you would pray. That was the diet. And so it... Really, it helped with the spiritual side of things, but it didn't teach you anything about like nutrition or health or exercise or anything like that. And that was a problem. It caught up with me because it turns out you can't just eat cheeseburgers. Or you can, but then you look like what I looked like. Another diet that I tried, I went to the doctor a few years later and I asked him, like, what should I do? And he was like, well, you know, you could diet and exercise, but what if I write you a pill? And he wrote me a pill, and I, for whatever reason, didn't ask the doctor what the pill was. I was just like, oh, great, a pill, I'll take it, it'll help. So I took this pill, and yeah, which is always a good strategy. Don't ask your doctor any questions. Uh, so, so I started to take this pill, and it turned out I didn't want to eat as much. And late, like when I was done with the pill, I was like, what was that pill that I was putting into my body for all those months? And it turns out, maybe some of you have had something like this before, it was a mild upper. It just 
it was an antidepressant, basically. It made you feel a little bit better, and then you wanted to eat a little bit less. So this pill, I think, was attacking, rightly or wrongly, another facet of weight loss, which is the emotional side. You know, you, you want to gratify yourself emotionally, and this pill really helped you not want to do that, and it made you not lose weight. But again, uh, you still had the other facets of yourself. You still had, like, your body, which still responds a certain way to cheeseburgers and a certain way to apples. You still had your spirit. You know, I still, I still looked to food in a, in a kind of bad spiritual way as a comfort instead of God. This pill didn't take care of any of that. It just solved an emotional problem. Now, lately, I've been on a lot of diets that are just calorie counting or exercising or getting steps or, or fasting. And those diets are very effective and good oftentimes. But they are attacking another facet, which is just the physical side of things. If you do X to your body, Y will be the result. And what those diets oftentimes... Now, there are good, more holistic, if we can use that word, uh, diets. But oftentimes what those diets won't do, actually, is help you deal with the emotional reasons why you eat too much or the spiritual reasons why you might be tempted to commit the sin of gluttony. So if you're really going to successfully diet, you have to do it with all of yourself, right? You have to attack it spiritually. You have to attack it emotionally. You have to attack, attack it physically. You have to be very practical about the, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to buy potato chips because I'll eat them. So, I, and, and that means I won't go to the store when I'm hungry because when I go to the store when I'm hungry, I... I buy potato chips. And so that means I'm going to have to go to, you know, you do the practical things. Oh, I need to do this much exercise. You also have the big conceptual kind of things, the vision for it, the, you know, the, 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 I want to be thin. I want to live longer. I, I have a daughter. I want to I wanna be at her wedding. You know, that kind of thing. Diets don't work unless, I mean, ultimately, they can work. Every one of those diets that I mentioned worked to some degree. But ultimately, if you're going to be successful with something like weight loss, you have to do it with all of yourself, right? And you have to be motivated in your heart to do it. And then you have to do all the practical things that you have to do. Well, this is my way into the passage today because I think this is what King Solomon in Proverbs now is going to say. We've been going through Proverbs. It's King Solomon. He's talking to his son. And he's saying, this is how you have wisdom. This is how you be a wise young man. This is how you get wisdom, and this is how you exercise wisdom. And I think we're getting to, you know, Proverbs is this weird mix of, well, after chapter 9, it's just very practical. Do this. Don't do this. Fool does this. Wise person does this. Save money. Work hard. Things like that. But these first nine chapters are a weird mix of, what I'm talking about, right? There, there's, there's the very big conceptual, theoretical kind of, this is wisdom. And then there's some more practical stuff. But we're moving towards more practical, even in these first nine chapters. The next chapter is going to be about the adulteress, the seductress, how we shouldn't give ourselves to her. And then we're going to have famous passages like, go to the ant, you sluggard, passages about you know, working hard. We're going to have some very practical, it's as if Solomon's talking to his son, wisdom is great, this is how, and the son's like, okay, but what do I do? What's wisdom look like? How do I start to apply wisdom? And Solomon's going to get more and more practical. And then in chapter 10, it's just going to be nothing but really solid practical stuff. 
That being said, I think we're getting into, in this passage that we're about to read, the how, where the rubber meets the road, the practical part of it. And the practical part of it is, if you're going to have wisdom, if you're going to lead a wise, righteous life, you have to give all of yourself to it. And so let's read Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We thank you for your many mercies. Please give me energy and clarity of thought tonight, or today, this morning. Um, I pray for the people who aren't here, for the Rices and for others, that you would bless them. And I pray that you would bless the other churches in town that honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this passage, there's not just a little verse that says, give all of yourself to wisdom. But it's kind of the whole passage, right? He's saying... Give everything. And specifically, the way that Solomon frames it is body parts, actually. Give your ears. Give your heart. Give your lips. Give your eyes. Give your feet to getting wisdom, to being wise, to exercising wisdom. Give all of these things. So, so once again, it's like Solomon, remember, he's talking to like his, t- his teenage boy, and he's like, you need to have wisdom. Wisdom's really great. You need to have, and as we've said, it, it kind of circles back as you read Proverbs to the same themes. So Solomon's going, been going on for a while now. You need to have wisdom. Wisdom's great. Oh, here's Lady Wisdom. She's beautiful. You should fall in love with Lady Wisdom. She's great. Oh, hey, you should be wise. Hey, don't eat the bread of violence. Don't eat the, don't be wicked. And finally, I think, you know, if you imagine it kind of, if you supply the dialogue of the son, he's like, okay, how do I do it? How do I do it? And dad comes back with everything, with everything you have. Okay, but I want specific tips. This is a specific tip. Do it with everything. Give it all you got. Do it with your ears, with your heart, with your lips, with your eyes, with your feet. And why is that important? After four chapters that we've been through of Proverbs, I mean, we've gotten a vision, if you've listened to our other sermons, if you've been here, we've, had a, we've got a vision for how great wisdom is. We've got a vision for how terrible it is not to have it. We've, we've listened. We've learned. We know what will happen if we don't apply it, the, the lest, if you remember our, our little formula. But there's a problem, right? We're still lazy. We still love to shift blame. You know, to this day, as I, as I struggle through uh, weight loss things, I, I shift blame. I've told this story probably up here before, but the, 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 the time that I understood myself the most was when I was in the middle of a diet. I got on the scale. The scale said I had gained five pounds. 
And I said, you stupid scale. And I was so mad at the scale. And it didn't occur to me until later that it wasn't the scale's fault. The scale did not go through the drive-thru at Taco Bell. The scale did not eat another handful of Doritos. The scale didn't do anything. The scale was just the messenger. I was mad at the messenger, right? You stupid scale. That's how much we, sh- we like to shift blame. If we can s- shift it onto an inanimate object, I mean, how many times at your job, you stupid computer, you know, it's not that I was being lazy, you stupid whatever, we will shift blame onto anything, right? And we love sin. We're not committed to giving ourselves to real wisdom because we'd just rather be wise where it's easy, follow the paths of life where it's kind of easy, you know? And, and, and so Solomon's like, no, you, you, you got to be in it to win it. You got to give all of yourself to wisdom. And he goes through these different body parts, which we are going to go through this morning. So number one, ear. Verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. If you are going to truly give yourself to wisdom, if you are going to apply everything that we've read about and talked about so far in Proverbs, then, and this won't be new to us, but Solomon thought it was worth saying again, and he's the wisest man who ever lived. We have to listen. We have to incline our ears. That means like when somebody's saying something wise or when there's wisdom in our life, we need to perk up. Oh, wisdom. Yay. I'm going to listen. Now, how many of us actually put ourselves in places where there's wisdom? And how much of us, when wisdom's being dropped, uh, perk up? I mean, I perk up if somebody's telling a funny story. I perk up if something interesting or entertaining. I perk up if there's somebody I can laugh at. I'm not sure I perk up if, you know, if, if Seth suddenly starts saying something wise. Am I, oh, I got to lean in and listen. What could this be? I mean... Peter, if your dad's like, I'm going to, or Lucy or, or whoever, kids, if, if your parents are like, here's some wisdom, are you like, oh, th- this is what I was waiting for. Yay. I'm going to listen extra hard now because wisdom. Do we, you know, when we, read, when we read the Bible, is that like the boring thing that we have to get through in order to get on with the rest of our day? I don't know how many times I've been reading my Bible and, and it's not like I'm listening to it. I'm, I'm reading the Bible. My eyes are going over the words. The words are going into my brain, but... It's not, it's not really penetrating. Like I'm, I'm actually planning my day or whatever at the same time or thinking about something sinful sometimes. Like, ah, that, that dirty dog did me wrong. You know, I got I to gotta, I gotta get him, get him back. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be having these thoughts. Or, or, oh, man, I can't believe what happened at work yesterday. Wall, am I perking up for wisdom? Well, what about, I think we all probably have that friend or parent or coworker or person in our life one way who says wise things but doesn't really make a big deal out of them. And so you have to do the work of digging it out. You know, there's some people who will be like, Nathan, I, I just don't think you should eat as many Cheetos if you want to lose weight. There's that person, and you, that person might be very wise. But there's also the person who, eh, Eating Cheetos. Hmm. And you, they're, you know, they might be too humble. They might be too self-effacing. They might not be well-spoken. But, you know, when they say, eh, Cheetos, what they really mean is, 
You shouldn't eat so many Cheetos if you want to lose weight. And your job is to actually go the extra mile, especially with authority figures. You know, we have pastors and parents and bosses and older people in our lives, you know, especially just the older people in your lives who have wisdom. But you have to do a little bit of the work of inclining your ear. You have to dig it out a little bit or, or apply it to yourself because they're just, especially here in Evansville, you know, they're just going to be like a cool kind of, uh, what's this place called? The Midwest. Uh, you know, we don't usually go out of the way to say, ah, let me drop some wisdom bombs on you. A lot of times we just kind of say things. But there are wise people in your life that if they just kind of say things, you should listen. So nothing we haven't talked about before. But my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings as you give yourself, give all of yourself to wisdom. The next body part is heart. So verse 21, let them not escape from your sight. Sayings of the wise, the sayings of Solomon, his wisdom. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We need to tend our hearts, right? There's a lot of heart language in modern Christianity. I have an acquaintance that always says, oh, that just hurt my heart. That hurt my heart. And I get tired of heart language, actually, because it's like, okay, what, is, what does that mean, heart? Well, it means your inmost self, who you are when, when everything else is stripped away, right? We need to keep our heart with all vigilance. We need to be thinking actively as we seek wisdom about who we are on the deepest level. I mean, do you ever, have you ever asked yourself that question? Who am I on the deepest level? Not something that we usually do, but it's actually, it's actually worthwhile to examine about, about yourself. What was motivating me? Why did I react that way? What was I doing? What, why do I not? I, I kind of know what's wise here. Why am I not being wise? What, what, what is at the, at the center of me? We need to know those things about ourselves. And that means just, just think about them. Don't be a, a narcissist. Don't be a navel gazer. You know, you don't, don't just think about yourself all the time. But there's a healthy way to think about what's going on inside of you, right? A healthy person, a spiritually whole, a righteous person, does know what's going on inside of them. And none of us really knows all the way because the heart is wicked and deceitful. Only God knows. But we can, most of us can do a lot better than we do, Right? And it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. So that means, that means keep your heart with all vigilance. It means knowing what is going into making the inward center of you. Like what, you know, we think, we have this weird idea. I can just be, you know, who I am is not influenced by the movies I watch, by the music I listen to, by the friends I keep, by the things I say, by the actions that I do. You know, there's this, there's this center of me that's just exists independent of all those things. And it's actually not true, right? Guarding your heart means guarding the things that you say, the things that you listen to, the things that go in 
to making you, you. And a large part of that is just realizing, I think, there are things that go into making me, me. And actually, they're stupid things. You know, it is a conversation with a friend. It is a movie. It is like, I'm, I'm not more sophisticated than that. I don't stand above everything that happens to me, everything that I take in in terms of entertainment, in terms of conversation, in terms of... Those things actually do affect my heart. And actually, that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about with the next three body parts. They're all connected to what we put into our heart and what we take out of our heart, which are lips, eyes, and um, feet. So let's move on, but we're still kind of talking about the heart because it all, this is all, you know, it, it is actually holistic. It does actually all connect. So lips, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Well, we know it's not good to be a liar. We know it's not good to engage in crooked speech, but still that's kind of a weird place for that, at least when you're going through the passage. You know, he's saying, be wise, be really wise, take my sayings, put them in your heart, Keep, guard your heart vigilantly. And then suddenly, a little bit of a non sequitur, maybe, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Well, okay, why does it make perfect sense that that's, that's where that is? It's because the mouth is one of the primary conduits to and from the heart. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Probably some of you are familiar with that Bible verse. What we have in our heart influences what we say. Duh. But also, what we say influences our inner man, our inner woman, how we feel, our heart, right? I remember when um, me and Meredith were dating, there was all this drama about when we would say, I love you. There was all this, like, it was months of, like, intense conversations. And we, we loved each other, actually. I, I do believe. But uh, one of us, I won't tell you who he was, really wanted to say, I love you. And one of us was like, I don't know. I don't know if we should say I love you. I don't know. What's that going to mean? What's that going to, is that going to blow everything to pieces? Whatever. And, and so I actually promised I wouldn't say I love you. I actually said, uh, you know what? I won't even say it until like we're, we're 20 years into our marriage. It's fine. You know, <laughs> well, we'll know it's, we'll know it's true. We'll know it's, man, man, dating people are the worst, aren't they? But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll know it's true. We'll know, we'll know. You'll know I love you, but I, I don't have to say it if it makes you uncomfortable. It's fine. And then one emotionally charged day, she'd come down from the weekend. She was living out of town, which was also the worst. And I was driving her back from, from Bloomington to Indianapolis, about an hour drive, to drop her at the bus station. And I just, I couldn't contain myself anymore. I love you, honey. I just, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but I love you. I love you. And she's, you know, sitting in the passenger seat, and she's like... Okay. <laughs> I know I wasn't supposed to say it, but I love, I, I just, I, before you get on the bus, I love you. Okay. Well, thank you for, thank you for letting me know that. Um, and she, she got out of the car and got in the bus and I felt terrific. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, man, I've never kicked myself more going, why did I have to tell that person I love that I love them? Oh, driving all the way home. I think I stayed up all night, you know. 
people dating are just the worst. Um, <laughs> stayed up all night like, oh, why? Why did I? And then I think like at four o'clock in the morning after I'd fallen asleep, she leaves a voicemail and I get the voicemail the next day and I listen to the voicemail and it's this really breathless like, honey, I've, I've been thinking about it and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it means and uh, what, what it's giving me, but uh, uh, I just wanted to say, I love you. I love you. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> yeah! Thanks, phone! Why did it matter? Because it did matter. I mean, we were being silly, but also there was something real there, right? I mean, we weren't just being silly because we were being silly. We were being silly because something was at stake. The reason people are silly about those things is because the words that we say really matter. Because you know that even if it sort of exists, saying it makes it exist more. If I say I love you, then, oh, brother, I really have to love you. And saying it makes me love you more, right? And that's scary. That's scary when you're dating. It can be scary in lots of ways. Words really matter. There's this chicken and egg thing where, you know, do the words make you feel the thing more? Does the feeling make you say the words? Well, it's both, right? It's why, now that we're married, and we are officially, I'm happy to say, allowed to say, I love you, which is great. We say it all the time, and most married couples that are healthy do. Is it because we always are just so full of love that we just have to say, I love you? Oh, man, it's just burning up inside. No, some days we're irritated at each other, but it's still like, okay, I'm off to work. I love you, honey. Bye. We'll fight later. Why do you say that? It's because the words kind of help create the reality, right? It's because the words feed the heart. It's because you're rehearsing an emotion that you know you're, you should feel. And you know one of the ways that you can, you can help it is like say the lines and suddenly you'll start to feel the part. So the things that we say have, you know, it's not just the things inside of our heart makes us say the things. It's also the things that we say makes our heart, right? So if we say things that are untrue, if we say things that are cynical, that are bitter, if we tell lies to ourselves with our mouths, with our lips, and I do mean talking out loud, we will change slowly over time the content, or sometimes very quickly, the contents of our heart. So what are the things that you let yourself say? Man, I hate kids. Why did we ever have kids? You know, I work hard all the time. I don't need to, to clock out. You know, my boss owes me, actually. Oh, man, that guy's the worst. He, he shouldn't have said that thing to me at church. You're no fun. You don't care about me or the children. The government is only out to, to take things from us, man. That's all they want. What about all the vulgar talk, all the hateful talk, all the get out of my way, honk, honk, that kind of talk? What about the nasty things that we say to ourselves when no one else is listening? Yes, we're revealing something about our heart when we say, like when you say, oh man, I wish we'd never had kids, and you're kind of joking, but actually you're not joking. You are revealing something about your heart, which is that you're discontent with the place where God's put you and don't trust him, and all kinds of other things perhaps. But also, you're creating something about your heart. You're making yourself not like kids even more. 
there are things you just don't say, right? Piece of advice that we got when we were going into marriage is just don't joke about divorce. Don't say you're going to get, you know, like just, it's, it's a forbidden word. And you don't have to be weird about it, but maybe it's something to be weird about, actually. Just, we don't even talk about it. We're not even going to create that reality, you know, in our heads. Because those kinds of things influence your heart. So be careful what you say. And spouses, help your spouse. I think my wife, by God's grace, is very good at this. Well, it's not hard for her to be good at this because I'm so bad at it. Uh, you know, I'll be like, oh, man. Bob's the worst. I really don't like Bob. And then I'll start talking out why I don't like Bob. And as I talk out why I don't like Bob, I'll start to hate Bob more. And it'll be this, this feedback loop. And by the time I'm done, I'll just be, ah, Bob. And she'll be like, honey, stop. Bob's fine. You don't even, who cares about Bob? He's great. It's not just that I'm revealing the hatred that was always in my heart against Bob. It's that I'm creating hatred in my heart by letting myself speak unwisely about Bob. So guard your lips. A large part of wisdom is guarding what you let yourself say. And it's pretty hard. Eyes. What about your eyes? Verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. So we're giving all of ourselves to wisdom and the next part of his eyes. And I guess that's, that's a pretty obvious one, right? Don't look at tempting things. Look at your wife, not the pretty co-ed walking down the street, that sort of thing. There's, there's all those realities. Don't let your eyes be averted by temptation. That's obviously one of the main things that this is saying. But how do we not let our eyes be averted by temptation? Well, we do exactly what it says, actually. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. You have to keep your eyes on something. You can't just say, I'm not going to look at the bad thing. You have to say, what is the good thing that I'm going to look at? So if you're trying to lose weight, you can look at the goal of living longer. You can look at honoring God with your body. There's all kinds of things you can be looking at. And when you do that, it'll be a lot easier not to look at those, those Cheetos, right? If, if, if you just start with, I really can't look at Cheetos, that's not going to get you very far. Just try, I don't know that I've personally ever stopped doing anything. I've only ever replaced things. I've only ever said, I'm going to, by, by God's grace, with the Holy Spirit's help, help very failingly, I'm going to start doing this this good thing. And it's going to replace. I remember a time in my life where I was struggling with some serious sin and I went to a pastor many years ago now and asked them, like, how do I fight this sin? And his advice was, go to church. Are you volunteering for the thing that we have on Tuesday? I was like, okay, well, that does us. What about, like, how do I enter into battle with, with Satan? Go to church. Volunteer for the thing on Tuesday. Give yourself to something good. Give yourself to something wholesome. Give yourself to the things of God. Keep your eyes fixed on those, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. We need to be intentional about fixing our gaze on Christ. Yes. But how do you do that? Well, you go to church. You volunteer at the thing on Tuesday. You give yourself, you put yourself in a position where you'll be helped. 
where you'll have people encouraging you. You have the right friends. There's, there's that kind of thing. But, it, but when it's finally just between you and God, you must keep your eyes fixed, not let your gaze wander. You must have as the goal of your life, I am going to be righteous. I am going to honor God. God is my father. I am going to glorify him and delight in him forever. That is my big goal. And then I have smaller goals that come out of that. Well, okay, so I need to have a job. I need to provide for my kids. I need to make it to church. I need to, you know, I, I have this kind of a career, so I need to do this kind of thing, or I have this talent. So I, you know, there's smaller goals that are individual to us. And then there are the really small goals, like I need to get up this morning so that I can practice violin, so that violin can be my career, so that I can glorify God with my life. It's good to actually rehearse those things, to actually be pretty intentional about like, what am I doing and why am I here? That's why we go to church. One of the reasons we go to church on Sundays, right? So somebody can get up and say, hey, (laughs) spend six days. Remember, this is actually why you're here. This is what you're doing. And we are, we are that kind of, our minds are that slippery and bad. We need that reminder. Let's look at the last one, which is feet. Verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. What does it mean to ponder the path of your feet? I think it means to think while you act. Or think before you act, that's even better. Think about what you're doing and why. Kind of the same thing that I just said, but I mean, how many times in life do you just do something and you don't think about what it means? Why? And it's not that we have to be bound up like, you know, uh, we've got a baby. It's not that my wife has to be some sanctimonious person who every time she changes a diaper, I'm doing it for Jesus. No, it just means... Big picture wise, she should remember and rehearse, I love God, and so I'm giving myself to this child who I also love. We should have those kinds of conversations with ourselves, right? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy how often I commit sins. Just, you know, it's one thing when you're having a struggle, like you're tempted, and, oh, I really want to commit this sin, and then you commit the sin, and Sometimes you'll kind of have the experience like in the cartoon where the devil's on your shoulder and the angel's, you know, ah, you should do it. Don't do it. But oftentimes it's just like, I'm doing the bad thing and I'm not even thinking about it. Or sometimes I'm doing the good thing and I'm not even thinking about it because it's a good thing that comes easy to me. No, think about it. Think about what your life is. You only have one life. The only thing that you have to spend ultimately to honor God is yourself, your time, your energy to get a reward in heaven. Spend it well. Spend it intentionally. Think about it. And finally, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Verse 27. Turn your foot away from evil. Don't do a little bit of evil. And think that, oh, you know, that won't lead, as long as it doesn't lead me into the big evil. I can let my eyes linger for a little bit on the the co-ed, whatever, if I'm a guy. I can... If, you know, how many times did I start smoking again back when I was trying to quit smoking because I had that one cigarette? You know, well, I could have one. Okay, there's some people that those, those 
terrible people who can just have one at a party or something like that. I can't stand those people. But that's not me. I'm, I'm a smoker. I'm an addictive personality, whatever you want to say. So I can't just have one. I can't. And with sin, with real sin, with gluttony, with greed, with bitterness, with anger, you can't have one. I'm going to be a little bit irritated with my wife today. I'm going to nag my husband a little bit. I'm going to let myself indulge greedy thoughts for a little bit. Just don't give yourself to a little bit. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And that means catch yourself and turn your foot away from evil. Oh, I was starting to, to gossip. I was starting to be greedy. I was starting to fantasize about having the house that my neighbor has. Oh, no. I'm going to turn myself. I'm going to turn myself away. I'm going to swerve away. Turn your foot away from evil. That's something that we all have to do because we're, we're given to evil. We're evil people apart from God's help. And so every, every week, you know, there will be time. Don't, don't be discouraged about it necessarily. Just, okay, this was the thing that I had to yank myself away from this week. Probably some of you can think of the things that you had to yank yourself away from or the ways that you had to have godly tunnel vision this week. Those are good things to have. That's how we have wisdom. That's how we really give ourselves to this stuff. So don't indulge sins. Let's go back to verse... Oh, well, let's just start with verse 20 again. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them from within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. I really believe that that's true. I really believe if you give yourself all of yourself, your heart, your ears, your mouth, your feet, to the things of God, to righteousness, to wisdom, it will be healing to your flesh. Don't mean you'll never get sick. But I do mean healing to your flesh. If you've known someone who doesn't do this over a long time, they look, they look bad. If you've known a godly older person, they look good. It's just true. Giving yourself to righteousness and to wisdom is healing to this stuff. But more importantly, this stuff. So let's really give ourselves to wisdom this week. We are going to get to some very hardcore practical stuff in Proverbs coming up. But King Solomon thought it was good to one more time say, you really got to give all of yourself to it, every bit of you. So let's listen to his wisdom this week. And let's pray. Dear Father, I do pray that we would be wise. I pray that we would give all of ourselves to wisdom. Pray that we would guard our hearts, be vigilant with our eyes and ears, with our feet. Please have mercy on us. Help us to turn from evil this week. Thank you for your, your kindness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.